Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Welcome back again to another Great Deception Podcast. I'm Don Britton, and I will be your host. Last week, I talked with you more about the reasons the American church is full of sin and practicing sinners. Last week, I also brought up another one of the main reasons that the church in America is full of sin And that reason being because of the false teachings by false pastors, by false prophets, false evangelists, and false teachers. In Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said this. At that time, talking about now, the last days, he said, Many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now, the Greek word used here in these verses for many, many false prophets and many being misled, this word means a great multitude. It's not just a few. It's a a huge number. It's, It's a number almost that you can't count. He said in the last days, there would be a great multitude of countless false prophets. Well, They're everywhere, obviously, but people don't seem to know that. And they are the ones who will arise and will mislead a great multitude of countless people. The time that this is going to happen is now. And the place is here in America and also elsewhere. And they're all around us. Do you see them? Do you know who they are? They, that is these false prophets, these countless numbers of false prophets, They're the ones who are preaching, for an example, a false grace. They're preaching a grace that does not require repentance from sin and a wholehearted, sincere, devoted, passionate, and intimate relationship with the Lord. This false grace does not require one to bear his own cross of self-denial and to experience the sufferings that that Jesus did in order to cease from sin and worldliness. This false grace does give one a license to go on sinning under the false notion that sin, that all the sin he's ever going to do has already been forgiven even before it's committed. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says this. Paul said this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age. So here we are now. Here's the grace of God. His grace, that is the grace of God, it instructs us, it commands us to deny ourselves of ungodliness, to deny ourselves of sin, to deny ourselves of worldly desires, to deny ourselves of everything that's against God to take up our cross and to deny ourselves and to live sensibly and righteously and godly right now in this present age, today, now. This is not talking about when you go to heaven. This is talking about living righteously and godly now. 
So the grace of God is not like the Catholic grace or the Baptist grace or even the Pentecostal grace, but is the grace of God which tells us not to sin. This is how we are saved by grace, by turning us away from temptation and sin. This is what this grace does. The grace of God tells us don't do it. After all, the wages of sin still are death. The wages of sin is still death. So this is how we're saved by grace, by turning by grace, turning us away from sin and the temptation of sin by telling us to deny ourselves of these things so that we can live. Research has already established that, and I've covered this in the previous podcast, if you'll listen to them, if you haven't already heard them. Research has already established that every denomination in America is full of, quote, Christians who are practicing sin, even the sin of adultery, the sin of pornography, which is rampant in the church today. And I've given you statistics on that in previous podcasts. Unforgiveness, in other words, holding grudges against a family member, a spouse, Someone in the past, someone who's wronged you, a business person, somebody that, in the, that, you, that you have really been hurt by, the church is full of people with unforgiveness. When it's impossible to be forgiven by God as long as you hold on to unforgiveness, yet it seems to be a normal thing in the church today, as well as every other vile thing the world does. The church is full of all of this. So obviously, with this being true, the, the, the true grace of God... The, the grace of God that tells you not to sin is not being taught by our pastors or by our prophets or evangelists and teachers. Or if, if it was, then the American church would be full of righteous people rather than full of corruption, right? I mean, obviously something's wrong. In Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter said this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, among you, meaning they're here, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many, there's that word many again, a multitude, a countless number, will follow their sensuality. That's what we have in the church today. People following their feelings, following their emotions. Uh, all these, All these different concerts and all these different... Uh, ministries that are working people through their sensuality, through their feelings, through their excitement, through their emotions. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. In other words, it's going to be perverted. It's going to be twisted. Now, these false prophets, it goes on to say, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Boy, is that not happening today? And their judgment from long ago, he says, is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. So destructive heresies are all in our, all in the church world today. I mean, one of the big ones is like once saved, always saved, which is totally unscriptural. Or like the one that says the sinner's prayer, you can pray the sinner's prayer to be saved, which is totally unscriptural. No such thing was ever taught in the Bible. Or like the rapture is going to take you away from tribulation when that's the opposite of what Jesus taught us. Or like you can be filled with the Holy Spirit even though you have not forsaken your sins, which is, which is a lie because God only gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And so uh, these are all destructive heresies. Another destructive heresy is like, like telling people that speaking in tongues is the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit even though your fruit is carnal. That's just not true. It's another spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, since the, since the Egyptian uh, magicians could turn a staff into a snake, don't you think that Satan could have somebody speak in tongues by the wrong spirit? Come on, let's wake up, church. Just because somebody speaks in tongues does not mean they have the Holy Spirit. You've got to look at their fruit in their life, the fruit in their life. If they don't have the right kind of fruit, they don't have the right kind of spirit. And just because a miracle takes place doesn't mean it's always by God. Just because signs and wonders take place, Jesus even warned us that in the last days that there will be those coming with great signs and wonders and all kinds of, of miraculous things and spiritual uh, uh, things are going to, supernatural things are going to happen. Just because it's supernatural, just because a miraculous thing happens, something that's out of, out of the ordinary doesn't mean it was by the Holy Spirit. These are another, this is another false teaching that today that anything that happens that's supernatural is by the Holy Spirit. There are deceiving spirits and they're all over the place. So we need to discern the fruit, not the miracle, the fruit. Another destructive heresy is this simple thing that people think that all they got to do is somehow mentally accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and attend church and they've become a Christian. But that's not exactly the truth because we have to be acceptable to God. He has to accept us. And he only accepts us when we meet the conditions of total repentance and total surrender of our lives to him and totally giving up our sins and coming to him with a whole heart. These are the conditions in which God accepts us. It's not about us accepting him as a matter of fact that he's the son of God and died on the cross. It, but these are destructive heresies that are in the church today. And there's many more such things that people believe that are false. And these false prophets are the ones who are promising us freedom. They're promising, they're promising freedom to people, for example, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. These false prophets promise salvation. They promise blessings. They promise freedom from oppression. They promise healing. They promise financial success and prosperity and things like this while they themselves are slaves of the corruption of greed for money, of the love of power and the desire for the approval, for the approval of man. In 2 Peter 2, verse 18 and 19, Peter said this, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they, talking about the false prophets again, entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. Who doesn't want to believe that he's going to be blessed with more money? I mean, that's a, that's a human desire, a better house, a, be, a great job. Uh, who, who doesn't want to have a healing or prosperity or deliverance from oppression or whatever? These are fleshly human desires that the false prophets use making false promises to prey upon the people and entice them to give their money to their ministries. Anyone getting rich from, the preach from preaching is a false prophet and he is corrupted and overcome by the love of money. And they're everywhere. Do you see them yet? Do you see them? Have you noticed them? See, false prophets are everywhere and there are many in number. But here's something you need to think about. True prophets are rare and they're very few in number. Elijah was just one prophet who stood and spoke against 450 false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. 
And those prophets were very popular with the people at the time. Those false prophets were. Micaiah, the prophet, was alone and was the only true prophet speaking out the truth when Ahab's 400 false prophets gave Ahab a favorable prophecy for battle. And as you know, in the end, Ahab was killed in that same very battle. Samuel was the only prophet whose words never fell to the ground in the days of King Saul. He was alone in that. And in many cases, it was Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Amos or Nehemiah or Elisha or Paul the Apostle or Peter the Apostle or Jesus the Messiah and many others too, too many to name who were always very, very small in number, usually one of a kind, usually one alone who always went up against the many, many false prophets of their day. Jesus himself was going against the grain of high numbers when he had the whole world of legal scholars of the different sects of the Pharisees against him when he walked here on the earth. Even though he was doing great and good things, even though he was the Savior, even though he was the Messiah, he was pretty much alone and his disciples were very few in number compared to all the religious leaders of the day. Paul was mostly alone in his efforts to go up against the large numbers of false apostles that appeared during his day and the false teachers who were everywhere he went. Today, it's no different. It's no different today. The vast numbers of preachers, prophets, evangelists, and teachers and, and pastors we have today are false teachers. They're teaching ear-tickling messages that give people a false hope, and they do it in exchange for money, power, and position. The true message of God has always been and still is to repent of our sins, to love God with all of our heart and our, all of our soul and with everything within us. Any messenger of God who speaks to you only blessings without addressing your sins is a false prophet. When I say messenger of God, I mean the appearance as a messenger of God, not truly a messenger of God. Almost none of the so-called prophets of our day are addressing the sins of the American church, but instead they're promising many popular and fleshly desires for the gain of money and power. And they're everywhere. Do you see them yet? Do you notice them? Have you thought about this? And since the agenda of all the false prophets is the same, numbers, money, and power, there is no serious correction being spoken to carnal worldly churches, ministries, or even to the church members that are in them who are all in sin. So many are in sin. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this. Paul spoke this. He said, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So let me ask you a question. Where is the reproof at today? Where is it at? Where is the correction today? Where is there any training in righteousness today? Today, it's all about religious entertainment and the feel-good messages of prosperity, health, healing, salvation, salvation without a cross, easy believism salvation without repentance, and promises of well-being without any sacrifice from someone other than to go to church and to give his money to the pastor or make a donation to the prophet's ministry. You see, that's what we have today. We don't have any correction for sin. If we did, everybody, if, if all these men that are on the TV and on the podcasts and in all these big ministries, 
If they were saying what God was was saying today, there would be an outcry against the sin of the church, just like if it was Samuel or if it was if it was uh, Elijah, if it was John the Baptist, there would be an outcry against all the sin and all the worldliness that the church is in. But there's no outcry. It's all as well, business as usual. Everything is fine. God loves us. You know, that's all we hear. Jeremiah 23, 17 through 22. Here's the prophet of the Lord speaking about the same thing. He says they, meaning the false prophets, they keep saying to those who despise me. I'll tell you who despises the Lord. It's the ones who stay in sin. The ones who live a carnal lifestyle. The ones who are selfish. The ones who are getting divorced in the church because they're dissatisfied. The ones who are committing immorality the ones in adultery, the ones in pornography, the ones who have unforgiveness, the ones who are gossips, the ones who are liars, the ones who are selfish and greedy. These are the ones who despise God. Even though they go to church, they sing, oh, how I love Jesus. They give their money to the ministry, to the church, to the pastor or whatever. And they are a member in good standing. And then when they die, they get preached to heaven. But they're the ones who despise God. They're the ones who despise Jesus because they're not living according to his standard. They're not obeying him. So here's what he says. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. Isn't that what we hear every day? Isn't that what the message is of the whole church world today? You're going to have peace. All is well. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. In other words, you're going to heaven. You're going to be delivered. You're going to be healed. You're going to be saved. No calamity is going to come upon you. God is going to bless you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? I did not send these prophets, God said. I didn't send them. The ones who were saying all is well, calamity not come upon you, peace, peace. I didn't send those prophets. I didn't send that word to them with them, but they ran anyway. I didn't speak to them, but they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel, Then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from the evil, from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. That's the word of the Lord. That's thus saith the Lord. So here we have today, the false prophets are telling everyone that no calamity will come upon them. And it's not that they're just saying that directly. It's sometimes it's not what they're saying as much as it is what they're not saying. They're not saying what God is saying. They're not addressing the sin in the church. They're not exposing the other false prophets. They're not exposing false teachings. They're not standing up against the whole world of wickedness that's in the church today. It's what they're not saying more than it is what they're saying. What they're saying is bad enough, but it's what they're not saying. So they're not telling the people the truth. In other words, they are saying that you're going to be secure in Jesus even if you walk in the stubbornness of your own heart, still living a carnal, selfish lifestyle. If these these prophets had listened to God and to his word, they would have announced his words to his people and would have turned them back from their sins. But obviously that is not happening today or we wouldn't be in the shape we are. Jesus said in Luke 17, three, he said, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Who teaches you to rebuke your brother who sins today? Who teaches that? What is taught today is to not judge or to live and let live or it's none of my business what my brother does or 
we'll just pray for him and love him and we'll just have mercy on him by not saying anything. You see, today, mercy is so perverted. It is the opposite of love. If you had, if your friend, if your close friend that you say you love was asleep in a burning house, would you just pray for him and love him by not yelling at him to wake him up, to rebuke him and say, wake up, jump out, get out of there, save your life. Oh, you just don't want to upset. Or would it be you just didn't want to wake him up since you didn't want to upset him? So you just let him die? Is that what you would do? Well, that's what you do spiritually when you don't deal with sin in the church. That's what you do with your brother in church. You just let him sit there and burn to death. You don't say, brother, repent. You don't say, brother, turn from your sins. You don't say, brother, this is wrong. See, that's the mentality today about correction. Just love him and let him die. This is somehow called mercy. I've been in churches where I've seen this perversion of mercy. Oh, we won't correct anybody. We won't re rebuke anybody. We're just going to have mercy on them. You see, just to have mercy on him by keeping silent? Are you kidding me? So you don't correct him. You don't rebuke him. You don't snatch him out of the fire. You don't offend him. Oh, no, we want not to upset him. We, we want to make him. We don't want to make him feel guilty or anything like that. Why not? If he's wrong, let him feel guilty. Let him feel uh, terrible about it. Let him repent of it. Let him come to his senses and turn from it. He needs to feel guilty. He needs to be ashamed. He needs to be corrected. He needs to be convicted of sin if he's done wrong. But you're not having mercy on him by just keeping silent. You're you're just going to let him die. So that's that's called love. You're just going to let him die in his sin and you call it love. That's what we have today is that's what's called love. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse five and six, it says this. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. In other words, in one of the verses it says, open rebuke is better than hidden love. It goes on to also say in, in verse six, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If your friends don't wound you when you sin or do something carnal, then they really are not your friends, but they're your enemies. They're the ones who are kissing you saying, oh, brother, you're okay. We're all fine. We're all just, we're all just sinners. We all stumble. You know, it's okay. It's understandable, but they don't correct you. They don't turn you from it. You see, in this generation, there's a lot of kissing going on today in the church. A lot of kissing up, a lot of kissing up to the ministers and the ministers are kissing up to people and the ministers are kissing up to each other. Everybody's kissing up, but nobody is wounding anybody to speak of. If there is, you don't ever hear about it. There is a lot of kissing going on today in the church and the ministry world, but almost never any wounding to save a soul. Psalms 145, I'm sorry, Psalms 141 verse 5 let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is all upon my head. Do not let my head refuse it for my, for still my prayers against their wicked deeds. So where do you see this kind of anointing with oil today? It's all upon my head to be reproved if I've done something wrong. Let the righteous smite me in kindness. Let him reprove me. Let him rebuke me. Let him call me to account. Let him turn me from my sin. Let him smite me in kindness. <laughs> he says, do not let my head refuse this oil. So where do you see this kind of anointing with oil today? 
Oh, I see people get out a little olive oil and dab it on somebody's forehead and they speak some fine words over them, you know, to be healed or be better or be blessed or whatever. But who smites a brother in kindness? Who's willing to smite a brother who sins with the kindness of reproof? Because reproof is kindness. Reproof is mercy. Reproof is love. False teachers don't do this, and they don't teach you to do this. In fact, they discourage you from doing this. I've been in churches where it was discouraged from correcting a brother. I've been in churches where there was terrible things going on, and I would try to persuade the pastor or the elders, we need to do something about it, and they would handcuff me and say, no, 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 no. It's not the personality of our church. We're not going to do that. We're not going to upset anybody. We're not going to make them feel guilty. We're not going to embarrass them. We're not going to confront them. It's not the personality of our church to deal with sin. We just want to love everybody. This is the personality of our church. And I'm going, this is not love. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover and will cover a multitude of sins. This is why correction is so important. It saves a brother's soul from death. If the false pastors started bringing correction to their sinning members today, they would lose a lot of numbers. The truth is because many would be offended and refuse to repent, while only a few would remain and receive the correction and repent of their sins. You see, but with the smaller numbers, the pastor, he's going to maybe have to get a job, you know, and his success would be in question since the numbers got so much smaller so he's not going to do that. No, 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 no. You see, the numbers and the money and the power over the people are more important to him, to this false pastor, than the souls of his members. First Timothy 5.20, he says, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest may also be fearful of sinning. Tell me, what church or what denomination or what ministry does this? That is, rebuke the one who continues to sin in the presence of everyone, publicly, so to speak. I personally know of a worship leader who was in counseling with his pastor for an adulterous affair he was having with a member of the church. This worship leader was in counseling with his pastor over a period of a few years, not a few weeks or months or even days, but a few years. This counseling shouldn't have even lasted a few hours. The counseling should have been extremely brief and to the point, and it should have gone something like this. You must resign your position and repent immediately of this sin, or you will be exposed before the whole church. And this has to be done now. So often sins like this are swept under the rug rather than exposed, especially among church leadership happens all the time. Jesus also said in Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, he said, and if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you that so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen then to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. 
So where do you see this happening today? Brother correcting brother in private, then taking two or three witnesses, and then if the wrongdoer does not listen, tell it to the whole church and treat him as an unbeliever? Have you ever been in a church meeting where someone's sin was exposed to the whole church like this? I haven't, except when I've done it. I've never seen it happen anywhere else. Have you? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 through 13, Paul said, clean out the old leaven. See, the old leaven is the sin. It's the person who's practicing sin in the church. Paul was in reference to a man in the church who was committing adultery with his father's wife. This was in the church and nobody was doing anything about it. Nobody was saying anything about it. They were just quote unquote loving him. They were just quote unquote having mercy on him, but they weren't doing anything about it. Paul said, clean out the old leaven that you may become a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, that is sin in the church is what he's talking about, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In other words, let us be holy people. Let us do what God has said. I wrote you, Paul said in my letter, not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the swindlers or, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But I actually, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person. Let's just stop right there for a minute. What if everybody in the church that's in pornography and adultery and uh, fornication, homosexuality, and every type of immoral immorality, what if everybody in the church was rejecting them? What if everybody in the church was not associating with them wouldn't that clear out a bunch of people? Wouldn't that clear out probably more than half of America? According to the statistics, 68% of American church-going men are in pornography. Fifty Over 50% of pastors in America are in pornography. Over 33% of church-going women are in pornography. Not to mention the cases of adultery. Not to mention the cases of divorce and remarriage of somebody else's wife or husband. Not to mention all the other types of things that are associated with immorality. All those who are lusting after, uh, who lust in their heart and committing adultery. While we, if we cleaned all that out, we wouldn't hardly have any church left. Just that one thing, immorality. He, Paul said, do not even associate with immoral people in the church if he's a so-called brother. He said, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or a covetous person or an idolater. Well, there we go, knocking out a few more now or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler or any anything like this. Not to even eat with such a one, not to even eat with them, not to have anything to do with them, not to even associate with them. Man, where would that leave us if that took place? For what do I have to do with judging outsiders, those outside the church? Paul says, do you not judge, judge those who are within the church? You better. I mean, that's what's going on today. Nobody's judging those within the church. Not even the pastors are, not even the shepherds. They're not even separating the sheep from the goats like they're supposed to. Everybody's acceptable. The sign says all are welcome. All what? Anyone, any kind of person, anybody. And some say the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not for sinners. Sinners are not even supposed to be in the church. It's not a hospital for sinners. We're supposed to be the people of God. And he goes on to say not to even eat with such a one. But those outside the church, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. 
How often do we see that happen? What church is removing the evil people, the wicked person, the unrepentant person, the sinful person from their congregation? I never hear of it anymore. So does your church or your favorite ministry judge those in the church who are in sin, who practice sin, who are committing sin? If they don't, why don't they? Do you know why they don't yet? Have you figured it out? Well, I'll tell you, it's because it's bad for business. You know, business, the money and the numbers again. It's all about the marketing. It's all about keeping the business rolling. It's all about keeping your customers happy. You know, after all, the customers are the ones who are putting the tithe money in. They're the ones who are supporting the ministries. It's all bad for business if you start dealing with the real, real problem. You see, false pastors and false prophets and false teachers will not remove the old leaven because the numbers, the money, and the power are way too important to them. Their success is modeled after the ways of the world in that numbers and revenue are the measure of success. It's not, it's not about having a few righteous souls. It's not about having a few people who are truly born again. It's not about the narrow way and the small gate that enters that only a few will enter for life. It's not about that. It's about as, getting as many in the pews, as many under the roof, as many into the building, as much money in the coffers and the bank as you possibly can, and getting all the staff paid and getting all the wheels greased. It's all about the money. It's all about the business. After all, the false pastor wouldn't appear to be very successful if he only had a few righteous souls and their meetings were very small in number. He wouldn't appear, according to the worldly standards, to be very successful. But Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. So do you, so do you see another major reason the church is full of sin and full of practicing sinners? Do you see how the false pastors, the false prophets, and the false ministries are misleading people by false teachings and refusing to speak the words of God to the people to turn them from their sins? Do you see why that money, power, reputation, position, and the approval of man rather than the approval of God is the normal thing for today? Do you see that? If so, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Well, what you could do is you could seek God. That's what I did. You could buy you some materials to study with. That's what I did. You could repent for having followed the false teachers and false prophets. That's what I did. You could study the word of God and find out the truth for yourself. And you could start teaching your family and maybe save them and lead them to the truth. And maybe a handful of other people over your lifetime. Maybe there'd be a few that listen to you. You could reject these false teachings that you've trusted in. You could reject these false teachers that you idolized. You could leave the false church system and meet with anyone who is sincere about walking with God, even if it's just one or two, or no one if necessary. You know, don't make your religion an idol and miss Jesus in heaven. What I've spoken today is very, very serious. So what are you going to do with it? You may want to get my book and carefully read it. I put more than 140 scriptures in the book to back up everything I wrote. I'll be back next week with more on the great deception of American Christianity without Christ. I hope you listen. I hope you listen next week. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. 
Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.